once again to the Perimeter Church podcast. More from Daily Beast columnist Anna Marie Cox. To be clear, I don't just believe in God. I am a Christian. Decades of mass culture New Ageism has fluffed up belief in God into a spiritual buffet, a holy catch-all for those who want to cover all the numbers. Me, I'm going all in with Jesus. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series The Ticket, Imputed Righteousness, with this message entitled Common Counterfeits, which covers Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. Thank you for joining us today. My job today is a a bit of a challenging job because my job is to feed you. Uh, Some days it's easier to feed than others. You know, every pastor has to prepare a meal. I think of it when I'm preparing. I have a meal to prepare for a flock, and it's my job to hopefully teach well. I know this, that there are foods that the flock enjoys, and there are foods that the flock doesn't enjoy so much. And uh, it's always a temptation to just move toward the enjoyable, tasty food. Uh, This is a week of vegetables. It's the way it's going to be. I will say this, there'll be vegetables again next week, but there's going to be some nice dessert that goes with it. So I think next week is going to feel a little bit different. There's a sense in which what I'm sharing, it's not because it's hard, hard stuff to believe, not at all. It's because much of what I'm going to say, you already do believe, yet in a sense, we don't believe. It's a complex text. It has a lot to it, and I'm going to do it in a short manner. So it's my job to make it as simple as possible, as clear as possible, and at the same time, I think you're going to find that though it may not be as tasty, it's going to be very, very, very healthy. In light of that, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to start with a, a little game. How many of you, uh, most of you probably familiar with the uh, with the book by C.S. Lewis, uh, Screw Tape Letters. If you've heard of the book, at least, or read it, okay. There's a large, large, large number of us here. Uh, for you that might not, it's just a book that, that C.S. Lewis is using kind of as an analogous picture of, of uh, a group of, of uh, uh, demons that uh, the commanding demon, demon is trying to help the demons figure out how do you divert the faith from Uh, you know, these Christians and keep them from coming to Christ and then to keep them from being faithful to Christ. And what are the different strategies? That's all it is basically. And, and one of the demons screw tape. Well, we're going to play screw tape. All right. That means for this few minutes, you have to be screw tape. If you had a day to be screw tape and figure out, okay, what are my strategies? What strategies would you come up with? Well, you don't have time to do that in this setting, but I've had time. So here are a few of the things that I would come up with. I would probably say, why don't we discredit the Christian community? In fact, let's try to take the, the, uh, the major networks of media and let's try to do everything we can to discredit Christianity and to make Christians look like these intolerant, wide-eyed, you know, crazy people and so forth that no one would want to become one of them, certainly. And doing so, perhaps, uh, maybe even go a step further and say, well, let's discredit them in such a way that, that maybe the people that are Christians maybe are highlighted, those that do wrong and stupid things, and make the world think that's everybody. Maybe another strategy would say, why don't we hijack the educational system? What if we could get 
all the peoples primarily of the world to kind of embrace this idea that God had nothing to do with who we are and where we are and, and what we are, that, that basically everything evolved. And let's, let's kind of create this idea of naturalism and everything just happened naturally. There's, there's, no, there's no theos, there's no God involved. And, and that way, maybe through the schools, in fact, we could maybe have evolution as if, you know, it's the only way. And, and maybe creation and places to be forbidden where we can get it, let's just have it forbidden to even speak of such. That's a pretty good plan. Then I thought maybe a third plan would be to promote sexual promiscuity. I mean, let's just say, let's make sexual activity just the norm of life. Let kids come up thinking that sex outside of marriage is certainly acceptable before marriage and even after marriage, that it's kind of a common thing and no big deal. And so what if you do? And, you know, maybe let them feel a little bit bad about it, but let it just kind of go from there. It's not a big deal. And next thing you know... People are addicted in sexual arenas, and even the desires to move out, they won't even find a means to do so outside unusual help. And that way, we'll capture, we'll capture the minds and the hearts of the people who otherwise might be thinking of Christianity as a hope and answer to their life. Well, we could go on and on with some pretty good strategies that I think are being used today, in fact. But I'll tell you, I am convinced that there is a strategy that far outshines any of those or any others that we could come up with. And it is the strategy of saying, let's do this. Let's let people view Christianity as an acceptable thing. In fact, why don't we create church in a way that church in most places will do everything but help them find Jesus? What if we can make people feel good about their relationship with the Creator without being in relationship with the Creator? What if they would begin to think that if they do religious activities, particularly according to what they believe is correct, the right faith, and if we can get them to think in terms of a set of rules by which they can live, and the more they adhere to those rules, the better off they are in relationship with their God. That way, we, in a sense, will capture the world, and they'll never know the difference. You know, I'm convinced that the greatest lie ever perpetrated upon mankind by the evil one is that one right there. And it's still got many of us, and I'm not talking about just those that are not yet believers. I'm talking about many of us that are Christians. There's something in us that screams the belief that if I will be a little bit better, God will love me a little bit more. Basically, the more I keep the law, the more he likes me. The more religious I am, if I'll go to church more and do more of the right things, then God's going to love me just a little bit more. Why we believe it, I don't know, because intellectually we can say, I know it's not true, but we believe it. Why is that? Because there are roots that have gone very, very, very deep. And the study of Romans exposes the roots as well as the surface uh, issues. And what we're doing is digging out those roots. That's why, as I keep saying, we have to reshape our understanding of who we are, who God is, and the world about which we know and in which we live. The more we see those three from God's perspective, 
the better it is to be able to get away with this performance, get away from this performance trap. Now we're in the book of Romans, and this week we're in chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn there. As you're doing so, here is the background to what we're talking about. Chapters 1 through 3 of Romans has told us about the problem of who we are. We as people are not good people like we think we're good people. So somebody just this week I was, I was with, they said, help me uh, help my little child. And as they see bad things happening to good people, how do you explain that? And the thought was, maybe you just can't explain it. You know, it's just one of those things you have to say it happens. And, that's, and I said, oh, no, 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 there is an explanation. Why is that? I said, because bad things never happen to good people. Huh? Well, because they're no really good people. Well, you can take it from the Word of God and say, oh, I believe the book of Romans, quoting the book of Psalms, there's none good, no, not one. There's none who seek for God, no, not one. There's none good, no, not one. But then we fail to believe that there's none good, no, not one. And so it begins to have implications to understand even suffering. Why in a broken world would even Christians suffer? Because we're still a broken people. And so we have to get into a lot of depth there, which we've already gone through in previous series. When we come to these chapters in Romans, chapters end of 3, 21 through chapter 5, now it's going to get into the, to the whole side of the story that helps us understand now what he's done for us. Not just who we are, but what God is and who God is and how God works on our behalf. And so we begin to see, as we're entitling this series, The Ticket. We're asking the question, what is the ticket? That is, that which gives us entrance into a right relationship with God. What is the ticket? Here's what we've seen. We've seen that the ticket is the righteousness of Christ imputed or manifested to us, placed within us. It's Him giving us His righteousness. That is the ticket. This week, we're going to be seeing, to give you the big picture, this week we're going to see that, okay, we know the ticket is the righteousness of Christ. It's not our morality, it's not our religion, so forth and so on. It's the ticket. But now, we got to see that the ticket is a gift. And the gift has to be opened. You've got to take the gift and open it. How do you open it? You open it by faith in Jesus Christ. So he's just going to argue that that's how you open the ticket or open the relationship, open the righteousness, come to you, whatever you want to call that. It's, it's all about opening the gift. But next week becomes the dessert because next week answers a question that a couple came up and asked me. He said, I've got these issues going on in my life. This is right after the first service. I've got these issues, but how do you take faith? How do you build the faith? How do you get faith? How do you, how do you practically? And I said, that's what's coming next week. And I got to give her my sermon for next week. It was kind of fun. But anyway, because it's the, it's the dessert. It's like now you're telling me how that applies to me. But would you just listen to what Paul has to say in these first verses? By me telling you this information, it's going to make me be able to read very quickly. Know this, he's writing to a Jewish people. Most of you know that. A Jewish people who've had this mindset throughout that we are saved because, or we are God's people, because 
We are the recipients of God's law. We are the people that follow his law. Therefore, we are the favored people of God. And therefore, we'll be okay with God. That's what they're believing. Now, New Testament has arrived, and they've heard from the apostles, Jewish people, teachers of the faith now. They're saying, hey, I got some pretty good evidence that things, things have changed now. And now it's not just the Jewish people. It's also Gentiles, meaning every other person than the Jewish people. They're included now. They can get a ticket. Now, the great debate among some of the Jewish people was this. Hey, I, I still believe that Jewish people are saved by the law and by our ceremonies and the things that we do. But many of the Jewish people are now adopting the new plan. But now the question is, but isn't there still a difference between the plan of the Jewish person and the Gentile? Isn't it still kind of, in fact, they were kind of thinking it's kind of a gift and it's kind of works. Works and gift, works and gift. No. Paul's going to say it is all a gift. The ticket is the righteousness of Christ through faith in Jesus. It's applied to us through faith in Jesus. So with that, look at your text with me, and we will start walking through this. In doing so, I want to give you certainly the, uh, the thesis that we're going to be exploring. This is a way to summarize it. My thesis for this week and next is this, Abraham, the father of the Jews who lived prior to the giving of the Mosaic law, and David, the king of the Jews, had to be justified by faith alone in order to be made righteous. So what Paul is doing is he's thinking, okay, I've got to convince these Jewish people that the ticket is the righteousness of Christ. And he says, I got a great plan. I'm going to go to the two most revered people in Jewish history. One is the father of the Jews named Abraham. One is the king of the Jews who is named David. And if I can prove that they became righteous by faith in Jesus in those Old Testament days, then case is closed. It's the same today. It's not something new. It was the same way then as it is now. Case would be closed. It would be like arguing and saying, oh, folks, no, it's true. You know how I know? Because I've watched two. Uh, how about uh, Billy Graham for the old timers here? They might remember the, the great name. He's, he's lost by our younger generation, but maybe the, the greatest evangelist of all time and how God used him among all people and say it's true of, it's true of Billy Graham. And it's true of, I don't know, Carol Pope. I don't know, but it's, it's true. And, and there you go. Okay, if, if they are buying in, then, I, then okay, I'm buying in. I, I think there must be something to it. So you'll see how he starts in the first text. He'll start with Abraham, and then he'll shift into uh, the person of, uh, of David. By the way, look at uh, the first verse of the New Testament. I think this is pretty intriguing. It says, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. And look how he's described, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So you see where he's going as we get into this. So let's look at three common counterfeits used as, as our means of, of getting our ticket to God. 
And the first is good works. Now, there's some repetition to what he's already said, but now he's talking about this idea of not just the ticket, but how you open it. And you'll see how that comes in here. Good works, verses 1 through 8. Let me read the first three verses as it now uses Abraham as an example. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? Stop there. He's asking a question. What has Abraham found? He's really saying... What has he found in works or law that has in any way profited him before God? That's the context of what he's saying. And the answer to this would be nothing. There's nothing else we can do. It's just the ticket of righteousness. So he says in verse 2, For if Abraham was justified by works, that he has something to boast about, but not before God. Oh, he can boast, look how I kept the law, look how I did this, look how much I did that. But he can't use that before God because God's going to say, that don't work. That's not the ticket. That's not valid. So the next verse, for what does the scripture say? And here it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, He is quoting from Genesis, first book of the Bible, if you're new to the Bible. The earliest book of the Bible that we have, chapter 15, verse 6, is what he's quoting. The word credited there in some of your Bibles is going to read reckoned. Let me help you understand that word. The idea is to put something into someone else's account. This is the idea of somebody who's in debt... They have no means, their account is empty, and now something is placed into that account that gets them out of debt. He's saying our debt is our sin, we have no means to pay, and God credits our account with the righteousness of Christ. And he imputes that, manifests that, for our sake. That's all he's saying there. The word believed, it has the idea of being uh, trusting. It's trusting in Christ, which brings the faith element that we've got to really grab hold of next week. Abraham came to be righteous through faith in Jesus. Look at this interesting verse. In John 8, verse 56, it says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Who is my? Who would you guess? Jesus. He rejoiced to see my day. He knew about the day of Jesus. And it says, and he saw it and was glad. How did he see it? He saw it through the sacrifices. He saw it through the law of God that was given to show and to understand his sin and all this stuff. He saw in the Old Testament. He saw that was the case. Now we see verses 4 and 5. It says, now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, who says, I can't work my way into, into righteousness, but believes in him, Jesus, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Now, We've just now moved to David in verse 6. So now he's going to transition and say, all right, what about David? Let's look at 7 and 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man 
who sin, the Lord will not take into account. But what he's saying here is we've got a problem with both men having sin. Abraham was not without sin. David wasn't, just like you and I are. All right, what's going to happen to their sin? It has to be credited. Their account has to be credited, and the sin is covered, the word. We are covered with the righteousness of Christ. You often hear that term, covered with the righteousness of Christ. When I was a very young Christian, I was just hammered. Memorize and meditate. Memorize and meditate. Memorize and meditate. And I memorized the Word of God and meditate on it. Memorize. Two verses that I have learned since my high school years that I think tell it better than any. These two are worth kids, you memorizing. Adults, you too. You just may not be able to, but you kids, <laughs> make sure you memorize these verses. The first would be 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. His righteousness imputed to us. How about 1 Peter 2.24? 1 Peter 2.24. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Now that's the key. It's the cross. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds we're healed. There it is. He does it for us. It's what I call the great swap. Do you understand that a holy, perfect, almighty God says, look, you've got sin you can't deal with. Let me do this. Let me take your sin and I'll pay for it by my death through my son on Calvary's cross. And I'll cover your sin in exchange. Therefore, you get my righteousness placed upon you so that I'll never see your sin again. Folks, can you imagine that we have the knowledge of something that good and most of us here have possession of something that good and then we say, glad I got it. No, we say, God, thank you for giving it to me. Glad I've got it. How can I not give it to somebody else? I understand that, well, it's hard and we're introverts and this, that, and the other. You know what we all can do? This is just to say, let's use Easter. I'll make a deal with you. I will tag team with you. I'll provide a message on the righteousness of Christ that goes hand in hand with this whole series. It'll be out of the series for Easter, but it's going to be on the subject of the righteousness of Jesus. And it's going to be able to tag their, your friends right back into it so they might want to learn more as we continue in Romans afterwards. But I'll tell you this, they will understand the gospel, I am convinced. As clearly as I can make it, you bring friends. Don't just say, I'll come and get. Come and bring people. And then make it a way of life to bring people wherever, to tell people. We have the greatest news that mankind can have. It is the great swap. And most people have no clue of what swapping is. So that is our job. We've all got to do that. In light of that... Now we can simply look at the number two, which is very similar. It's religious activity. Verses 9 through 12, and this is how it reads. Is this blessing then on the circumcised? That's the Israelites. The male had to be circumcised. That was a sign that you were a part of the family of God, the people of God. Be a baptism today. Or is it on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. It said nothing about circumcision. This is how then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? You know the answer, don't you? He wasn't circumcised. Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. 
And he received the sign of circumcision, the seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while uncircumcised. Faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe. Not just the Jewish people, but Gentiles. Without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. You know what he's saying? He's telling us what we now know through Genesis 17, that Abraham was circumcised 14 years after being made righteous. And now the Jewish people are saying, well, you can't be made righteous without circumcision. He says, whoa, 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 Jewish people, do you not know this? Your father Abraham was righteous before being circumcised. It's so important to understand what's being taught there. Then we come, lastly, to the law. By by the way, I'll say this. I'm always asked this, so just clarify it. People say, Randy, how did people come to know God in the Old Testament since Jesus had never come? Do you understand this now? It comes like Abraham did. And by the way, not just Abraham, but Enoch and Noah and anyone else of faith. They saw Jesus as the promised Messiah. They put their faith and trust in him. Now they're in the family of God. Not because they're circumcised. Same way over here. We look back. That's why we call it a better faith in the sense that it's the same faith, but we have a better vantage point. We have a historical Jesus who has died, and we put our faith in him who has come. So what if you're baptized? Does that mean it wasn't important to be circumcised? No, it was. Was it important to be baptized? Absolutely. But not for the sake of being in relationship with God. No, not at all. So he's argued through Abraham. He's argued through David. He says, guys, it's not any of these things. It's the righteousness of Christ. Now that takes us to the the last piece, and that's the, the law, verses 13 through 17. And this is how it reads. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, that's Mosaic law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath. Does that mean the law is bad? No, no, no. It's showing us our sin that is the reason for the wrath. But where there is no law, there is also no violations, meaning no knowledge of the violation if we don't know the law. So that's why it's important to have the law. Then the next verse. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace. Grace, God given us what we don't deserve. So that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, Jewish people, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations, not just Israel, many nations have I made you in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. I know there's a lot of verbiage there, and I can't walk through every verse, but let me just give you the bigger point. This is how you understand this. The law, meaning the law of Moses, came 430 years after Abraham believed. Pretty good argument. 
Wait, Abraham believed and was made righteous, and the law hadn't even been given. Hmm. Though it's still a gift that the law was given, we needed the law. Or to put it this way in summary, law promises a curse on those who do not keep it perfectly. But it doesn't promise blessing or life on those who try to keep it because we cannot keep it. And a little help if you're trying to figure out are you a Christian. You might ask yourself this question. If I were to die and stand before God, why would I think God would let me into heaven? If your answer is the righteousness of Christ, it doesn't mean you're a Christian. But I'll say this, if you say something other than the belief summarized by those words, it would be great evidence of not truly being a Christian. It is the righteousness of Christ. I'd like to close now and simply ask all this question. Not to be answered publicly, but here's the question. Any of us here caught up in the performance trap? I bet you are. I am. I've noticed through the years the performance trap has got less and less of me. And I hope that's what's happening to you. And here's the way it works. The more you take what you believe you know to be true, assuming you believe it is the righteousness of Christ, and you take that and you embrace it by the fact that you dwell on it. We become what we dwell on. If we dwell on it. But if we're thinking all the time, what have I got to do for God to get him? What, what if I don't do this? What's God going to do? What? Do away with those thoughts. Say, no, 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 that's the wrong thinking. No, what I want to think about is I'm covered with the righteousness of Christ. What did I do to get the righteousness of Christ? And the answer, the same as Abraham, nothing. I did nothing. And where does your focus go? It goes on a biblical viewpoint of who we are. And say, oh wait, I'm merely a sinner. As I told my friend as we were talking yesterday, I said, you know, the greater question of life is, why does God allow so many good things to happen to us people who are so bad? I don't understand that one either. That's the harder one for me to answer. And we know the answer is the grace of God, but why is grace? And that we'll never fully comprehend. And it's the depth of that truth and reality that causes us to go, God, look what you've done for me. And that's what causes us to have a desire even to follow. Doesn't the Scripture say it? I keep repeating it. Those who are forgiven much, love much. If I don't embrace Romans 1 through 3, that look, there's nothing good in me. I deserve nothing and then I come to Romans 4 through 8 and find out, look what he did for me and look what I've got as a result. And you begin to dwell on that. Now you begin to say, oh God, I'm not now wanting to perform in order that you would love me. That's the performance trap. No, I now want to perform because of your love for me. Set your attention and focus on the truth. It is the truth that sets you free. And now next week, We'll come back. We'll get a little dessert. Because the felt need maybe is among all of us. I want my faith to grow. I want to be able to hang on to that. How does that happen? That we address next week. Go to the cross all here. Christian or not. See his love. Seeker, say I surrender. And when you can say that, you know the love of God has captured your heart. 
Christian, keep looking at his love. Understand who he is and who you are in relationship to that. And watch your depth of commitment go deeper and deeper. As we pray, let's pray. Father in heaven, grant us to be a people of faith. May that faith be the ticket that we enjoy to see the righteousness of Christ given to us. May we dwell on it. May it now be a new reality to some here without you till this moment who are saying, God, give me your righteousness. To those who have your righteousness for us, Father, would you call us to see your love in a deeper measure this day than ever before. And this week, even amidst our comforts, may we be a people who fight hard for you. We pray in the great name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.